Chapter 5 For I determined to know nothing among you. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5 And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I personally believe that out of all the massive statements of faith that Paul makes, this one has to be one of the greatest. We see in these five verses the humility of the man and the true heart posture of blessed are the poor in spirit operating within him. Paul, or Saul, as he once was known, was a man who prided himself on his lineage, his knowledge of the law, and his ability to articulate the letter of the law with precision. Philippians 3, 5-6 Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. As to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless, I'm not sure it gets much bigger than this. Saul was somebody in the Israelite nation, and he was excelling beyond his age, and yet the heart, posture, and language of 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5 is of a completely different man. The power of God operating in a person. Is this in fact the same man, or are we looking at a brand new person? who has had his eyes opened by the truth, Jesus Christ, who now says, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. This doesn't sound like Saul at all. That's because it is not. It's now Paul, a man who speaks the words of spirit and life rather than the letter of the law, a man who has heard and is hearing the frequency of the spirit of truth, and declares this with such captivating simplicity and humility that for many it is heard as complete foolishness and as a stumbling block. All Paul is really interested in is proclaiming the true powerful work that Jesus has and is doing in his life, the testimony of God. The testimony of God is everything God has finished in the Spirit and the true work that God is doing in and through our lives which enables us to overcome all things. He doesn't want to confuse people with big, long-winded words about the law that he knows, but he desires to share the true testimony of Jesus Christ, how he has fulfilled the law, and that the life is found in him and him alone. In verse 4, we see Paul say his preaching is not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. We are all to be like Paul, as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Our preaching is to not be in persuasive words, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, our very lives are to be the demonstration of what we preach, and we are to speak from this position in Christ. We are to preach what we practice, not practice what we preach. The actual reality of what we have come into is the place we are to speak from. Words of wisdom. This new spiritual language coming forth from Paul's mouth comes with the utterance of heaven. 
declaring a brand new reality in Christ for all those who have ears to hear, the mature. Philippians 3, 7-9 But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Don't you just love the heavenly language that comes forth from Paul's mouth, which speaks of the new life he has received through knowing Christ intimately? We now see the complete opposite statement to the one he made before in relation to where his righteousness comes from. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Where once upon a time, His righteousness came from the law. His true righteousness now comes from God on the basis of faith in the Son. This is why Paul in Romans 1, 16-17 is able to say with boldness and with much passion that he is not ashamed of the gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. He goes on to say it's the righteous who shall live by faith. Verse 2 is also very revealing of Paul's new heart position in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. True knowledge that changes us. To know nothing except Jesus and Jesus crucified seems so little and limited compared to all the mysteries of the message of the kingdom. There is way more than just Jesus and Jesus crucified, isn't there? What is Paul talking about? Has he lost his mind or has he in fact found the mind of Christ? He knows nothing the person who was crucified on the cross intimately and knowing the power of the resurrection is the key to receiving the abundant abiding life that Christ promises. Have we come to this understanding yet? 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, It is the power of God. It's in the person and the power of the word of the cross that true knowledge exists. A knowledge that is transformative rather than just informational. A knowledge that when received within a person builds the eternal life of Christ within us, his body, the church. No wonder Paul said that he determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let us stray in our minds from true knowledge. This explains why Paul wrote what he did in 2 Corinthians 11.3 as a warning to the Corinthian church. I don't think it's any coincidence that in his first letter to the Corinthians, he writes what we have just discussed. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, he is afraid that the Corinthian church will be led astray in their minds from the simplicity and purity of a devotion to Christ. Can I encourage you to go and meditate on 2 Corinthians 11.6? and ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation of what is being shared. After doing this, ask yourself, does this sound familiar to 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5? He compares Eve being deceived by the enemy, in other words, the fall of mankind, to the church being led astray in their minds from this intimate, all-knowing relationship with Jesus. 
The reason man is led astray in his mind is because he attempts to come to know God through his mind, the intellect, as his first place priority. Man attempts to understand the words of God through his carnal mind, rather than know God himself through the Spirit's power of revelation. This is the operating system that Saul lived his life from until he had a powerful encounter with Jesus and he began to learn from Christ himself. Ephesians 4, 20-24 But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul was awakened to and freed from this false way. So he exposes it so that no one else might be caught in the deceptive trap that held him for so long. He obviously sees it operating in the Corinthians. Hence, he warns them in the hope that they will hear the word of the Lord and turn from this false way. If our first place position is to attempt to understand God through our carnal minds, we too are operating from the flesh, the false way. This can be hard to swallow, but it is the truth and explains why we may be unable to demonstrate the spirit life we are called to. Far too many followers of Jesus are attempting to come into the eternal life that Jesus promises within us through the learning of man's ways. It should come as no surprise then that Paul writes in Romans 12 too, that we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This renewal is done through the Spirit. May we learn the way of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 11.4 For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different gospel which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. We can preach another Jesus or receive another gospel without realizing what we are doing. This is how deceptive this all can be. We would probably all say this wouldn't be me. And yet if we try to come to know God any other way than the way God teaches us, this will be us. Notice Paul says another Jesus. It's not Buddha or Allah or evolution. It's another Jesus. Another Jesus can be when we take our interpretation of the words of Jesus and preach them as the word of Jesus. This can very easily be done from a place of ignorance due to unbelief. 1 Timothy 1, 12-14 I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more abundant than ever with the faith and the Lord which are found in Christ Jesus. The other Jesus and the different gospel. Paul addresses this another Jesus in Galatians 1, 6-8, using the words a different gospel. Galatians 1, 6-8 I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Paul says he is amazed at how quickly the Galatians are deserting Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel, but it is because it is a distortion of the gospel of Christ. The Galatians were in fact going back under a number of ceremonial practices which were no longer required. How many of us live under modern day ceremonial practices without even realizing it? These practices produce no life. Again, notice Paul doesn't say a different religion or faith system, but a different gospel. A different gospel is anything but the complete gospel that Jesus Christ preached. Incorporating Jesus into our lives isn't the true gospel. The true gospel message is the complete loss of one's life to find the life of Christ that he has for us. It's a complete death to one's old life and the discovery of a brand new life found in Christ. Many have proclaimed the prosperity gospel, the claim it and grab it gospel, the signs and wonders only gospel or the works-based gospel. This goes on more than we even realize and it happens right under our noses. But because our minds have been led astray from the simplicity of truly knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified, we easily and readily bear these other gospels beautifully. Great confidence in Christ. I love how Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 5-6 that he doesn't consider himself the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though he is unskilled in speech. 2 Corinthians 11, 5-6 for I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evidence to you in all things. He is not phased by these eminent apostles because of the true knowledge of Christ he has. True knowledge is experiential knowledge that only comes through the power of revelation of the person, Jesus Christ. This knowledge is not attained through the intellectual study of the words on the pages of the Bible, but by divine revelation of the Holy Spirit. Paul knows it's the true knowledge of Jesus Christ that comes through the word of the cross that enables him to live like Jesus. It's not how well he may be able to articulate words, but his ability to live as the word lived. This is why we see him say in verse 6, In every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Just like in 1 Corinthians 2.4, Paul lets the demonstration of his life of the Spirit and of power do the talking, not his ability to speak persuasive words. Have we taken the time to ask the Holy Spirit what Paul was ultimately afraid of, that the Corinthian church were being led astray from? The obvious answer is from the simplicity and purity of a devotion to Christ. The question I would have us all ask ourselves is, what is the promise of inheritance for the church? that can only be discovered through this intimate relationship. Paul addresses this in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 11 by saying this, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. What is Christianity really all about? Right here is the eternal purpose for God's people. And yet how many of God's people actually have a revealed understanding of this promise and are living as a pure virgin, one who is faithful and obedient and no longer living as they used to when they were of the world? 
Paul gave his life and no longer consider his life of any account as dear to himself, so that he may finish his course and the ministry which he received from the Lord. Revelation is the key. A big part of Paul's ministry was to present the church as a pure virgin, a people who had been made complete in Christ, a people who love God and love people, who are faithful and obedient to his will, a people who have been set apart, consecrated unto Christ for the wedding of the groom and his bride. Being made complete in Christ is just that. We are made complete from the inside out, having his divine nature built within us flowing in the gifts and works of the Spirit in alignment to his orders. Paul said the mystery that is great is the mystery between Christ and his church. Mysteries must be revealed to us. A verbal or mental agreement of the mystery is not enough to have us living in alignment to the truth. The context for the entire scriptures have their origins in this mystery. When Jesus saw that the scribe had answered him correctly, he said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Remember where the kingdom of God is? You are not far from having this true eternal life formed and established within you. But as of yet, you are still void of it. What does the Bible say the kingdom of God is? It is certainly not about taking physical dominion of land or territory firstly. It is far greater than this. For me to give you the answer wouldn't do you any good. Search the scriptures for yourselves as they will tell you. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Wow, these words really do define the man that Paul has become and the way he approaches the Father and the Father's will. He is now held in a reverence for God that is brand new to him and the weight and awe and wonder is now his reality. How comfortable are we in weakness? Paul realizes his absolute reliance on the Spirit for all things and without the Spirit, he has nothing to bring and nothing to share. The teaching of the branch abiding in the vine is very much his newfound reality because he knows the branch himself cannot produce any fruit or life without the vine. This posture is the polar opposite of the one he lived from as Saul. The spirit of humility is now very evident in his life. Leaning into Christ. This fear is not one that has us shrinking back from God, but one that has us leaning into God. It has us pressing in for more of God and wanting to come into more of his transformative word. We are not people who shrink back when confronted with the enormity of God and his will, but we are people who press on and into him. The scriptures teach that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Did we hear that through the spirit? The one who fears is not perfected in love. This is 1 John 4, 18. Romans 8, 15. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Hebrews 10, 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. 1 John 2, verse 28. Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. 1 John 2.5 But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The promise of God is that if we keep his word, 
then the love of God is truly perfected in us. If the love of God is perfected in us, then there is no fear. To have fear is to not have the love of God being perfected in us. Only through weakness can this transformation and building work occur. Paul knows that when he is weak and only when he is weak is he truly strong. When he says weak, he means coming to the end of his strength. He means coming to the end of his ability to make things happen. He means coming to the end of being able to produce anything or an outcome. He means coming to the end of oneself and relinquishing the absolute control of one's life and the need to keep one's life going. He means being wholeheartedly dependent on God for everything and anything. And he knows this is the greatest place to be in. Hence the title of this chapter, for I determined to know nothing among you. 2 Corinthians 12.9 Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. From weakness to strength. This weakness is seen as foolishness and absolute insanity in the eyes of the world. A world that builds itself up on its ability to be in control and is so dependent upon itself to exist, succeed, and map out its own existence. A world where the strong survive and thrive is something to go after and seek, because this is what it values. Paul knows that God's power is perfected within him in his weakness, because he has become the recipient of that very power, and it is this that has him saying that he will boast about his weaknesses. If we as God's people are not living from God's power, then we are not living. I wonder how many of us in the body of Christ, especially leaders, actually go around boasting about our absolute inability to make any eternal difference in our own lives and the lives of others we walk with or lead. How many of us realize just how dependent we are on Christ to do the work in and through us and others? Paul discovered this place through being someone who fell upon the rock and had the spirit of pride, i.e. self, that was operated within him broken to pieces. Luke 20, 17 to 18. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. How many of us have actually found this place of having the spirit of pride self broken into pieces, never to be put back together again? King David wrote about finding this heart posture in Psalm 51, 16 to 17. So we would all be made fully aware of our absolute need to be broken and contrite of heart. Psalm 51, 16 to 17 says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This reality brings us into knowing without a shadow of a doubt that only in our weakness can we become strong in him. Just like Paul, we no longer reject the stone that the builders rejected as the chief cornerstone. You will know if he truly is the chief cornerstone in your life because you will have the corresponding life of this within you. And this life is immovable. This life is not found in human wisdom. Falling on the cornerstone. When you have fallen on the rock and have been broken into pieces, you are eternally impacted and changed. 
What was once in opposition to Christ is no longer there, and you now have the capacity and ability to act and live differently to how you once did. Just like Jacob, who had his hip dislocated out of its socket, you now walk with a limp, a limp of true humility. You now find yourself engaging in ways and conversations that would have once repelled every part of you. Jesus is not only talking to the Jews here who would reject him, but to everyone who falls upon the chief cornerstone. Everyone is everyone, Jew or Gentile, male or female. It is my personal conviction that this, for many in the body of Christ, is a road less traveled. Hence, we still see a lot of pride, i.e. self, in a body that by now should really be humble. This is why there is so much division and false sense of spiritual oneness in the body, because many avoid this road and go down multiple other paths, creating our own version of oneness, which is actually conformity to the flesh. Builders will build. I love how God uses the word builders in Luke 20, 17 to 18. The Jews were to be the people that God would build his kingdom in and through upon this earth. And yet as builders, they rejected the chief cornerstone. Builders are known for building things. So as builders, they continue building their own thing in the name of God. Just because you reject the cornerstone doesn't mean you stop building things and you will even use his name to build them. This is just as much the case today as it was then. A common phrase we may often hear from followers is, let's build the church never realizing we fundamentally can't build anything eternal. To continue to try will see us building our own empires. The only problem is we genuinely believe the empires that we build are of him, and he will actually let us live like this. Psalm 127, 1 and 2 is a very clear and explicit on who does the building work. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is in vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. This is a real simple statement that for some reason we completely miss, even though it is clearly written in front of us. We can clearly see from the scriptures who builds whose church and what happens when man attempts to do God's part. If we have not learnt this lesson, we will be unable to imitate God. There is no difference to Matthew 16, 18. And yet because of spiritual deafness and blindness, we miss this completely, causing us to build counterfeit models, thinking they are the real deal. This for many is not the intent of one's heart, but just because you don't intend something doesn't mean you don't actually do it. You can, for all intents and purposes, fully believe what you are doing is right, but it is a path that actually leads to death. If it is of him, we will have the life of him and be able to walk as he walked, imitating God. Matthew sixteen eighteen. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Wisdom is demonstrated. Wisdom in Christ, in its most mature form, 
is the ability to demonstrate a Christ-like life. Paul is saying his life is a demonstration of the wisdom of God. His ability to live as he was living is wisdom. This is what Paul is calling us into when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We too are called to be this living wisdom, becoming a letter for all to read and see. We don't know anything we haven't become. Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Ephesians 3.10 So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. We can see from the passage in Ephesians above that the wisdom of God is to come forth from the church. God's chosen vessel upon the earth. The heavenly realm is to witness the church being able to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God. The lack of the reality of this upon the earth today by the body of Christ as a whole is the evidence of where the body of Christ is truly at with what she calls wisdom and her ability to live wisdom out. Far too many followers in the body of Christ are satisfied with mere head knowledge. What gets built is directly reflective of what it is built upon. Why would a lost world know that Jesus was sent for them? Because of the wisdom that is being demonstrated upon the earth by the church for itself and its neighbor. People are experiencing the love of heaven firsthand through the church. The church is to love people with the love of the Father. For way too long, the church of Jesus Christ has been happy and content to call wisdom informational knowledge. The acquisition of facts, principles, patterns, and truths stored in the mind is what we have called wisdom. And yet the scriptures clearly teach us that wisdom in her fullest form is vindicated or made right by her deeds. Truly imitating God. It is this dimension of the spirit that enables and empowers us to be imitators of God. Not people who try and copy what God is doing, but having his life in us that he flows forth from us. We cannot help be anything but imitators of God if this is our true position of wisdom. What do you see about the passage below? 1 Corinthians 1, 24. But to those who are called by Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice that Christ is not only the wisdom of God, but the power of God. If we have Christ being formed within us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, then certainly we will have the intertwining reality of the wisdom of God and the power of God coming forth from us and being manifested upon the earth for people to experience and touch. Because we now have Christ being formed within us, he becomes our how-to, and we now get to demonstrate the fruit of his life abiding in us. This abiding life outworking itself in our lives happens so innately that we are not really even aware of who we have become. And this way of being just becomes our natural expression of living. When we are living like this, we no longer have to try and sell Jesus to people or convince them of Jesus, but we can just let them see Christ by the way we are living. They can come and pick the fruit and be the recipient of the fruit. And as we share, we can rest in the fact that what they see and hear is not our wisdom, but the power of God. It's essential for us as the body of Christ that we all come into this abiding life so that our faith and the faith of others 
would not be found resting on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Where does our faith rest? Paul did not want people looking to him or to any other human being when it came to where people should be resting their faith. If we can't at least see the physical demonstration of our faith in Christ, wisdom, then we will naturally look to find wisdom from our fellow man. We will look to find wisdom in what someone knows, not in how someone lives their life. We do not know anything we have not yet become. This is the fatal mistake that many make. This is how the world functions. By becoming wisdom that people can touch, see, hear, and experience, people get to experience the reality of a God they can't physically see. This is massive as Jesus came and was the manifestation of God on earth for all to touch, see, hear, and experience. He was the exact representation of his Father, and we too are to be the representatives of our Father. We are to re-present God to a lost world. We are to be the ambassadors of the kingdom we are from and represent our Father's kingdom well. We are the righteousness of God, and we are to live out lives of righteousness. The one who knew no sin, who became sin on our behalf, did so for the purpose of the church becoming the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Paul knew that it was the power of God that is discovered in the message of the cross that propel people into this life of righteousness. As previously stated, this is why he spoke of determining to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was fully aware that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and that a man or a woman who lives their life from faith will discover just how righteous they have been made in Christ and live accordingly. To not be living this life of righteousness out would be to not know just how right we have been made in God, which is profoundly sad for all those who profess Christ as their Lord and Savior. If we actually do live the supernaturally empowered life out in Christ, there is very little chance that anyone would rest their faith on the wisdom of man, because all would know that what is being demonstrated in front of them is impossible for man to model. Followers require a power from another source to be able to demonstrate this powerful reality of life. 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10 For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Empowering grace. This is what grace is. Grace is the empowerment we need to live out what truth Jesus calls us to. How familiar are we with the grace of God operating in our lives? Do we have a reference for his grace in us? The grace of God, which is another word for the power of God, propels us into a newfound passion and purpose and has us realigning our entire priorities toward him. Without the grace of God operating in us, it is impossible to be the demonstration of truth upon this earth that we have been called and chosen to be. When our faith rests on the wisdom of man, our faith is firmly anchored in the temporal. 
This is extremely dangerous for us because the temporal can move and shift and fall at any given time. All it takes is for something to not go to plan and our faith falls and crumbles into ruins. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's very easy to say that our foundation is Christ, but when things don't go to plan, we and those around us truly get to see who our foundation is. When our faith rests on the power of God, our faith is firmly anchored in the eternal. Paul said the life he lived, he now lived by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the eternal. He is the eternal life and the source of eternal life. 2 Corinthians teaches us that we are not to live by sight of the temporal, but by faith in the eternal. When we sow to the temporal, we reap from the temporal. But when we sow to the eternal, we reap from the eternal. Living it. Paul said in Corinthians that the kingdom of God is about power and not words. He says he comes to test not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. It's one thing to be able to articulate the information one has about God really well and really clearly in a precise manner. And yet it is an entirely different thing to be able to demonstrate what one speaks. This is the only thing that really matters, as Christianity has very little to do with what you profess to know and everything to do with how you live. The true knowledge of God will always produce the true demonstration of God. Hence our faith better be on the power of God and not the wisdom of man. It was Paul himself who acknowledged that although he may have been unskilled in speech, he wasn't in knowledge, and that he had made this evident to them in his demonstration of truth through grace. 2 Corinthians 11.6 But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Paul also instructed Timothy to guard what he had been entrusted to him and to avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments that paint themselves up as knowledge, but are false. This reality leads to people astray from the true faith. 1 Timothy 6, 20-21 Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter, and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. This reality can be and is very prevalent in the body of Christ today. It's ultimately the opinions of man being declared as the word of God. It can sound right and promises us much, but delivers on nothing and leaves us with a sense of being spiritually abused and manipulated. Let's stick to Paul's two words or phrases that he gives us and we will not go wrong, but find ourselves coming to the fullness of life that Christ promises us. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2 For I determined to know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified.